0: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by SGX coach Joseph Bautista. Coach Joseph and I had a great conversation today about how we can train without having obstacles around utilizing the barbell, utilizing kettlebells in order to still get the techniques down that we need to get in order to complete a lot of these obstacles that we're seeing in races. Whether you are an OCR athlete yourself, a clinician who works with these athletes, or a coach who works with these athletes, you can find this information highly valuable. So let's tune in. Coach Joseph, how are you today?
1: Hey, I'm doing good. How are you, Brianna?
0: I'm awesome, and I'm excited to be talking to you today. Um, coach Joseph is an SGX coach, so he knows his Spartan stuff, which is why I'm really excited to talk to him because he does not, for the most part, does not train people with obstacles. And I know I don't train with obstacles most of the time, and a lot of people just don't have access to the obstacles. So, And he's gotten people to podium in through the methods he uses. So I'm super excited to talk to him to share his information on how we can train without having the access to the obstacles and still dominate these courses. So let's first and foremost talk about, you know, off pre-recording, we were talking about this whole push-pull concept. Let's just kind of dive into that first and talk about what you mean by this whole pushing and pulling forces when we're training.
1: Well, push and pull concepts or reverse direction concepts, are it's not new. But what we're doing is we're looking at it a little differently than what we normally see it as. So, for instance, when somebody says I'm doing chest and back, or somebody says I'm doing uh, deadlifts and squats, they're they're basically talking about the two different directions that their body can move, which is forward and back, and, and essentially uh, forward and reverse. You know? it, you're hitting different planes of motion, and that's ultimately how an individual becomes stronger. Well... When we take that concept of push-pull, that kind of works a little bit more towards a lot of the obstacles that we deal with. So where I'm going with that is in order for me to practice a pull movement, such as the sled drag, such as, you know, um, the, uh, yeah, I think the sled drag is the only one that we really pull. <laughs> uh, that movement, the reverse direction of that is a push. And you can do something, uh, just an example is like a band press or even just a, uh, a cable press. And because what you're doing is you're essentially taking the muscles in the front part of your body and you're preparing them to contract at the end position. When that happens, you're able to relax the posterior muscles. So that way when you pull into them, you have a better range of motion pulling into them. Because you're mimicking the same movement in reverse. Now, this concept that we talked about offline really came from your 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 expressed interest on the hangs, rope climbs, rings, monkey bars. We do a lot of hanging, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wall climbs. You know, at some point you're going to be hanging. So, how can we work on the right muscles without always pulling on them. Because if we're always pulling on them, that's one direction. But if we do something that has a bit of a push, then we we'll are work in the opposite direction. And then we prevent ourselves from actually overworking the pool because we're putting, we're shortening those, those muscles that tend to get lengthened from the pool, right? We shorten them in a push rather than lengthen them in the pool. Uh, I'll give you the best example. Brianna, you, you do CrossFit, right? Yes. Most common movement you have, it is considered a pull, but the end position applies pressure, which is the barbell snatch. Yes. Now we can go into a different direction. To that is, if we're in a clean and we do a press, press jerk, okay, push press, you know, any one of those, we're we're having most of the pressure applied into our anterior part of our body. Now the posterior helped out a little bit, but only as a support, mm-hmm. and then we end up re-strengthening that posterior chain. In that push movement and it's a vertical push because we basically do a vertical hang and it's a vertical push that allows us to increase the amount of tension into the shoulders neck the upper pectoralis uh, those smaller muscles near the clavicle and it prevents the traps the traps or the trapezius are basically our neck muscles that diamond from the back of our head across to our shoulders and back down the middle of our spine It prevents that from overworking because we work those the most when we do a pull, Mm -hmm. right? And guess what happens? When those are overworked in the pulls, because people are trying to do pull-ups, people are trying to do, you know, these real heavy pulls to work on their upper body strength because they think that all of their hangs are pull movements when, yeah, but you still need to work the opposite direction in order to strengthen the complete unit, right? So you prevent that trap from taking over, which means that the lats can pull down, Okay. And we end up activating the rhomboids more because now the traps are not overworked on that one movement. And then we end up taking away a lot of this this dislocation in the shoulder, these torn rotator cuffs, these pinched nerves into the shoulder joint. You know, we, we stop demanding so much of the shoulder joint being yanked on and we end up applying more strength on it, you know, to compact and contract.
0: So how do you suggest... Besides just doing kind of some banded pushes on the cable, that sort of thing, how are you suggesting that we train some of these pushes? Because we all know, you know, barbell work, we're pulling from the ground. Deadlifts are pulling from the ground. Um, any pull-ups type things, we're pulling ourselves. How are we training these pushes in order to get this opposite motion?
1: We got to kind of look at how the obstacles are. And where I'm going with that is, whenever you do a hang, if you notice, both arms don't move at the same time, and and those of you that can, usually we see those people more tailored into those obstacles, or you know they're they're kind of like ninja warrior, right? That's a that's a whole different category of individual, right? Um, you you want to look at it as there's individual arms working, so you want to get the uh, get your shoulder to be able to work each arm independently. Uh, I personally recommend kettlebells. Uh, Sandbags work wonders as well uh, because those sandbags, when there is an offset on one side, then the sand will move and glide and then that forces a different stimuli in the shoulders. But how can we practice the press? We need to put objects in front of us and push them overhead. Kettlebells, great choice and you really want to take that concept of you want to be as close to the same weight that you are into both arms of to equal the weight that you're pushing above head. If you're not there, you build into it. So, for instance, I'll give an example. I'm about 178 pounds. That would mean that I want to divide 178 by 2 and I need that weight amongst both arms. If I do not have enough strength for that, then I have to establish what my goal is on that. Is it, one, that I need to get stronger or, two, I need to get lighter. Okay. And then that's going to, you know, boil down to nutrition. That's going to boil down to, you know, combining my cardio with with my strength training to get my weight down. Obviously, the more I lift, the more frequently, there's, there's going to be a balance that's going to happen. But I need to understand what that is to establish that. And usually kettlebells are are, are actually the best. So for instance, I would need basically about two 85-pound kettlebells to come <laughs> even close. <laughs> Which is possible.
0: And I, you made a good point as far as getting lighter and I think that's where like, things can, be, can become difficult then because we want to be stronger and so we build up muscle which then essentially makes us heavier and so there is this fine line of being faster by weighing less but then also wanting to weigh more and being a little bit stronger so it's kind of this whole confusion sometimes I think that happens.
1: Well... Turn it back around and look at it from a big picture. Yes, you want to get stronger, but at what? Strength, cardio, each one in superiority comes with a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Okay, Understand what that sacrifice for you that you are capable of giving up is. That's really ultimately what it comes down to. So for instance, if you want to get stronger, where are you going to get stronger? And are you willing to sacrifice the strength from something else for that for a purpose, right? It really comes down to if I want to get faster, I have to have, a, I have, to have more exploding power. And that tends to usually mean that my legs are going to be building up a lot more muscle due to that fast twitch demand frequently, right? Well, then that, that doesn't mean that I'm getting weaker. It just means that I'm increasing the amount of weight I have in my lower body versus what I can carry on my upper body. Does that mean that you can't get fast without building muscle? No, it's quite possible, uh, but you have to understand what the timeline is gonna look like on that, right? Sometimes that can be a longer timeline. You build up the, the, the strength, you build up the power, and then you see where you're at. Can you still maintain that strength? No, okay, so then I either need to build up my strength, which may mean I'm gonna get heavier, so now I have to get my legs and my speed used to that again, or I get lighter, but I try to maintain that speed while I'm lighter. And so I end up not letting the slow-twitch muscle fibers take over their mass. And I let my fast-twitch muscle fibers increase their ATP demand.
0: Awesome. What is your... I see a lot of different comments and different thoughts on behind it. What's your thought on... Kind of totally switching subjects, actually. People getting cramps during the races especially later on in the race what's your i mean we all hear this is hydration it's electrolytes it's mobility it's this that and the other what what do you think is contributing to a lot of this these issues
1: well let's simplify it from to two things number one cramps in a race come from lack of ability to maintain the demand that's the number one thing so that will always happen before hydration Okay. It doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter if you're a seasoned athlete. It doesn't matter if you're an average Joe and it doesn't matter if you were just ripped off the couch. It always, the first thing that it comes down to is the ability to continue the same repetition demand. Okay. Now, does that mean that this individual who's a seasoned athlete is still getting cramps that they're weak? No, there is probably a degree of demand that they're asking of in that race, not in their normal training, but in that race that they haven't prepared for. Case, uh, case in point, you're at uh, Tejon Ranch and you're going up a hill, but your hill climb that you've been practicing has only been about a quarter mile. But this one is three quarters of a mile. That's still more demand in one sitting than you have trained yourself for. But does that mean that you're weak no it just means that your body hasn't adapted to the atp recycling process in order for you to maintain that energy demand to prevent cramps. so can you fix that yes through training yeah can you fix it through demand yes it's just a matter of taking that demand now that's the first thing and that also actually coincides with people who are used to not getting cramps and any you know for like an eight mile race but they get it at 12. Okay, but they, they swear that they' been, they've been doing their, they, they've been taking their electrolytes and they're packing their coconut water and their, their nutrition doesn't sound perfect. That's great if it is that, it's going to be one of the two. nutrition or being able to have that repetition of demand. If you are still getting cramps, there is a missing link in one of the two. It's really up to you to understand which one the missing link is. you know that I, I can't pinpoint it on each person uh, because I, I'm looking at a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's it's gonna come i'll always come down to those two now there are varying degrees and in informations and then yes yes but if you narrow them all down they always come down to those two either you do not have an adequate enough nutrition for the demands that you're asking of it or you are not having an adequate enough of adaptation for the demands that you're asking of it you know physically and and, and nutritional wise um So it really comes down to those. And going backwards, too, about some people who talk about cramping and they're taking electrolytes, electrolytes. There's a few other things that that need to take into play because electrolytes are only one component of nutrition and minerals. There are other catalysts that you want to add to make sure that you're utilizing and absorbing those electrolytes. So just because you're drinking your coconut water daily just because you're taking your electrolyte mixture of water, whatever it is, it doesn't mean that your body is fully absorbing it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it's not the same. Intake doesn't necessarily mean absorption. And that's where the adequate nutrition uh, concept that I was describing comes into play. Absorption just means that there is another nutrient that you are missing for you to absorb those electrolytes efficiently which can be the reason why you're cramping, and it's due to your nutrition. Not that you're not taking it in, it's that you're not absorbing it.
0: Absolutely. That was a wonderful answer. Thank you so much. Let's kind of get into those obstacles that are more technical-based. Right now, I'm specifically thinking, like, one we hear a lot of people talking about is struggling on the rope climbs themselves. And it could be to a fear because it is pretty high. If someone's never climbed that high before, you know, falling is a legit fear. Um, it could be a wet rope. It could be just not knowing the technique. If someone doesn't have access to a rope or a gym that has a rope, that you name it, what are some things that someone can start doing to at least learn the technique um, off rope?
1: Well, a rope climb is not your grip strength. You can, you'll hear this from other people over and over, and this will probably always be a debate amongst prospective individuals, but I'm going to say at the end of the day, your rope climb comes down to your footlock. If your footlock is secure, your grip is, you only need your grip long enough to adjust your footlock. Your footlock does the rest of the work. So that would be the main component that you'd want to work on is your footlock. And now I'm not I'm not a uh, you know, footlock Nazi, meaning I'm not gonna tell you this is the only way to do it. I have seen a whole slew of different ways to do the footlocks, whichever one, and the way I like to think of it as to each his own, as long as you're secure, as long as you are comfortable in it, and as long as you can move fast with it. That's the footlock for you. you know, I've seen people do an S. I've seen people do an SJ. I've seen people do a J. I've seen, uh, I personally do a butterfly flare that looks like a J. But it really comes down to is what footlock works good for you. For that, now that's where we start to practice. You can go to your local hardware store and pick up a Manila rope, about one inch. Um, If you can get bigger than one inch, let me know which one you went to so that I can get it. (laughs) All right, I've only been able to find one inch. But what I do like about the one inch rope is because it's smaller, it forces your footlock to be more sound. Right? The bigger rope, which is usually what we have at the race, which is about an inch and a quarter, uh, that can actually wrap around your foot better. Yes, a quarter of an inch makes a big difference. When we're working with that smaller rope, what you do is you're going to take it and you need a secure pull-up bar. Okay, This could be the doorway. This can be, um, just make sure it's secure in the doorway. I've seen many, many ups and fall right back downs on the doorway one. Uh, a bar that's secured to a beam, an actual pull up bar, maybe something that's like one of those pull up towers, it doesn't matter, as long as it's a pull up bar. And what you're gonna essentially do is you're gonna do two things that'll help you in the long run. One that will help you with a lot of your hanging obstacles and another one that'll help you with the rope climb. So you're gonna hang onto that bar. And then you're gonna practice your foot locks with the rope that's in front of you. Essentially you wanna take this concept that you're not a human being when you're on that, you're gonna react like an octopus. And an octopus doesn't have eight arms or eight legs or four arms and four legs, an octopus has tentacles. Your arms are tentacles, your feet are tentacles and move around your legs independently like tentacles. And then that's when you start to really get a better feel for how your body has a higher range of fluidity and motion. And you can do so many more things rather than just rely on your arms And fall into the prey of your grip strength being the the fail all or succeed all.
0: When we're talking about some of the hanging obstacles as well, like we talked about that carrying over, you know, the fact that the bars overhead on the snatch and how that relates to the hang and just that pressure down and everything. Is there a way to train just like that body control, body movement of like that swing that's needed for the monkey bars and some of those other, um, other um, let's see, things like multi bars, rings, things like that that you actually need to get that swing in?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, and it comes down to the kettlebells. Uh, now this is just this is my personal opinion, and there are other people that'll have theirs, but it comes down to the kettlebells because you can do a single arm swing. You can do an alternating clean, you can do an alternating snatch, you can do an alternating swinging and snatch, you can do a combination of a clean and a snatch, you know, and yes, these are a little bit on the progressive side of the kettlebell, you know, I recommend get yourself a kettlebell instructor or dive into a kettlebell program before you start getting into these more dynamic movements, but these movements will mimic a lot of the demands that you need with a weight that will press into you versus a weight that is always pulling from you, right? with the exception of the swing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're doing a combination move where you have a kettlebell in the one arm, which is your left, you're doing a clean with that one. At the same time, you're doing a kettlebell snatch with the right arm. If you look at what that movement is, mimics, if you close your eyes and imagine the arm that is doing the snatch is the arm reaching for the next ring, while the arm that has done the clean is the arm that is holding onto your anchor ring. You have just replicated a movement in the reverse direction that you're going to demand of it.
0: That's really cool. I never thought about that, but yeah, those two movements. I like it. I like it. No, why do you teach your
1: kettlebell stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, the, the bells I fell in love with, and uh, there's a certain point when you start working with the bells that it's no longer just about the, the basics swing, clean, and press. It becomes more of an explorative, and once you get into that explorative or the flows of the kettlebell, the the dynamics of what you're trying to demand of your body, they change significantly altogether. You can replicate Almost any functional movement pattern, which is something that you're going to end up doing daily, with a kettlebell in in the movements of flows. And if you guys uh, and Mike, one of my coaches, uh, John Wolf, you know he kind of like viewed into me about making something light feel heavy by understanding how it feels close to you in a further
0: away. So, you for the most part don't train with obstacles as far as training your people with obstacles. If someone is just looking for Figuring out how to train on their own. What equipment would you suggest someone having on hand? like what's the minimum that they need?
1: The minimum they need is a pull up, something to pull up on, right? A pull up bar of some sort. If uh, that's the minimum because almost every hang movement, almost anything that we have to move around with the exception of heavy drags and like the tire fl- or the tire flip, you need something to hang from because you're going to see a large portion of obstacles be hangs let's let's just call a spade a spade there will be more hangs if you do not have anything to hang it, you're you're going to have a challenge on a lot of obstacles it doesn't matter about this concept of push of push in the vertical in comparison to the pool if you don't have a hang you don't even you're, you're not even going to master the necessity for the push So with that being said, the next other tool I would recommend is the kettlebells, right? Um, If you're looking to match your weight, you're going to need to build up to that. You know, the kettlebell is a dynamic tool, so you're going to have to build up to that. I usually recommend a base weight of 8 kilos for the ladies. Now, you're more than welcome to to start off with 12 kilos, and this is not because the weight is heavy. It's because it has more control. Right? And because the movements are going to be upper body dominant, we want to make sure that we have more control with the bell than we do just trying to lift a heavy bell. Uh, and men usually start at 12 just because men are more upper body dominant by genetics. This is not favored. <laughs> <laughs> but I have found over in my years that nothing against you guys, but the ladies gravitate functioning, functioning the kettlebell far more severely than men do at a faster rate. Right, so with that being said, you could actually see yourself progress in weight significantly faster. Um, and uh, if you're gonna add a dynamic tool for those kettlebells, I do recommend, and, and this is a good uh, this is a, a you know, nice recommendation uh, a grip sling because we can attach it to our bells, we can attach it to our pull up bar, we can attach it to either or, and we can make the, the grip be demanded as well as still work on that push and pull and those kind of and those concepts so gripsling and uh, if you guys do go to gripsling use code joda joda and they'll hook you up
0: awesome thank you so much for that information any just final tips for someone training at home or maybe looking for a coach to figure out how to start doing some training
1: reach out ask for a coach and be ready for the education. You know, uh, the education comes at a cost, your time, your commitment, your dedication and your goals. That's the big those are the biggest costs that you have to accept if you really want to get the training done. And the whole premise behind the training is not just to get you physically fit, but to keep you active right? If you're more active, if you get to stay active, you can increase the better quality of your life and you can help a lot of the other coaches with what their biggest goal is, is to rip millions of people off the couches and into a healthier life. You do that simply by you doing you. And yes, you can do the work at home. Get a coach that's willing to work with you remotely in your home. Get a coach who's willing to program things for you in your home. If you don't, if you, if you don't, want, if you don't feel like you have the commitment to doing it at your home, Find a coach that has a place, you know, that they can replicate the movements, demands that you need in a race. You're not always going to find the obstacles. And you know what, just to give you a heads up, not all obstacles are definite. You will always find obstacles come in and obstacles be gone. So no obstacle is definite. So therefore, if you're only focused on the obstacles, you're not focused on the challenge.
0: Awesome. Well, Coach Joseph, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate uh, you taking this time for me a second time, being that we messed up the first recording, or I messed (laughs) up the first recording. Um, So thank you again.
1: No, it's a great time. And, you know, if you guys get a chance to, I know Brianna's got a nice little project coming out that has to do with rope climbing. And in my personal opinion, take advantage of an opportunity like that. It's a great way to build a base. And I'm all about foundations because – in the, if you look at it, a martial artist, a black belt is not a master of everything. It is the master of oneself and the basics.
0: And that concludes this episode of Highly Functional. I truly appreciate the time you spend to listen to myself and my colleagues share with you how to become highly functional individuals and how to be highly functional individuals. If you learned great information from this, I would love for you to share it with your friends and help them become highly functioning individuals as well. Until next time, go out and be highly functional.